Good morning, Life Church Buffalo. How's my 11 o'clock crowd feeling today? You guys alive, awake, excited to be here today? It's awesome to see such a full house here today. God is moving in our church. It is so cool. If you are new with us, if we've not yet had the chance to meet, let me introduce myself. My name is Pete, and I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here. And man, we are excited to have you joining us here today as we are beginning this brand new series that you just heard Pastor Nate say called Pray First. It's a series that, quite honestly, a week and a half ago, I didn't know I was going to do. Normally, I'm planned at least a month or two out in advance of what we're going to be talking about from a preaching and series schedule standpoint. And heading into the last week of Joseph, I was kind of driving down Union Road, heading to the church one day on my way into the office. I said, Lord, I'm kind of nervous because I really, I don't know what we're going to talk about after Joseph is done. And I very distinctly heard the Holy Spirit kind of whisper into my spirit, said, now is the time. And I knew what he meant by that because for almost a year now, I have been, um, I've known that I've wanted to do a series on prayer for several reasons. I've not yet known, I hadn't yet known up till that point when was the right time, when we were going to do it, but I felt like the Holy Spirit very clearly said, now is the time to do it. So we're going to start a two-week mini-series today and kind of do something a little bit different than we've done in the past follow it up with another four-week series called Pray. So for almost six weeks, we're going to be zeroing in and talking about this topic of prayer. And for these first two weeks, it's going to be learning how to pray. And then we're going to look at four weeks of Paul's prayers and this phrase that appears in so many of his prayers where he says, so that... We need to understand that, you know, we pray so that certain things will happen. There's a desired outcome to our prayers. There's a purpose to our prayers. And so I'm excited about what we're going to be learning through this series. And um, because here's what I know as a church. Just in the last four weeks, just during Joseph, we saw 18 people say yes to Jesus and make a decision to receive and follow Jesus Christ. That makes 84 people just since Christmas. God is moving in our church. It is exciting. And listen, if you're one of those people, then I want to encourage you to take your next step and sign up to get baptized. LifeChurchBuffalo.com slash baptisms is the webpage you can go to to sign up and go public with your faith. That's really what it's about. It's a public declaration of an inward decision of the change and the decision you've made to follow Jesus Christ. But here's what I know. For those of you that have said yes to Jesus, you didn't just say yes to like punching your ticket into heaven. You didn't just say yes to joining the church or joining a religion. You said yes to a person. You said yes to a relationship with a person named Jesus. And how can you have a relationship if you don't communicate with the person that you're in a relationship with? That's what prayer is all about. I mean, those of you who are married know this. I mean, I've been married for a little over 12 years now, and I wouldn't have very much of a relationship with my wife. I probably wouldn't be married today still if we didn't communicate and talk to each other on a regular basis. And yet there are so many Christians that I know of that are intimidated by prayer and just don't know how to pray. And so I need a little bit of audience participation here to help me out as we, be, as we get started. How many of you would be honest today and say, you know, I believe in prayer, but I just don't pray as often as I should? Anybody bold enough and willing to admit that? We've got some honest people uh, here today. The rest of you are liars, and I will pray for you. <laughs> but I've got my hand up, because I know that God hears our prayers. I know that he answers prayers, and yet I don't pray as often as I should. And why is that? I think there's a lot of reasons why many of us don't pray. Some of us just don't pray because we don't know how. We're intimidated by it. Like, do I, what words do I use? And we're just, we've never been taught how to pray, and so we don't do it because we don't know how. Some people, uh, like myself, you know, just maybe look at prayer as just being boring. Um, I mean, I hate to admit this publicly as a pastor, but I've been known from time to time to actually fall asleep while praying. Anybody ever done that before? Like, yeah, okay, so I'm not the only one. Like, I'll wake up early to try and spend some time with Jesus, or I try to squeeze it in in a couple minutes at the end of the day before my head hits the pillow at night. And the next thing I know, I'm just, I wake myself up from snoring, you know? That's awful. You, you're supposed to be spending time with God in prayer, and you fall asleep. Or maybe some of you don't pray because you just, like, 
I've got ADD. You know, you start out with the best of intentions and you get like one, one request in and all of a sudden you're thinking about, oh wait, I gotta get my oil changed in the car today. And my other car is overdue for its inspection. And like one thing leads to another, leads to another. And before you know it, you've sat there for like a half an hour and you've not prayed at all because you've just like thought about and worried about all of the to-dos on your list for that day or everything going on in your family. And honestly, you know, another reason I've wanted to do this series is for myself, because I want to grow in prayer. And I've been convicted lately, both as a pastor and as just a follower of Jesus, that my prayer life is not where it should be. You know, my job as a pastor, according to Paul, who wrote in Ephesians 4, that God calls some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers— it's called the fivefold ministry. God appoints some people to fill those roles in those offices for the equipping of the saints to do works of ministry. So my job as a pastor, and I hate the term full-time ministry because it delineates and, and separates people who are in vocational ministry from the rest of those who are just, you know, in the marketplace. But listen, we're all in full-time ministry. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are on mission 24-7. And my job as a pastor isn't to do the ministry. My job is to train you and equip you and prepare you to do works of ministry, but how can you do works of ministry if you don't know how to talk to the one who's created the ministry for you? How do you, how do, you do works of ministry if you don't communicate with the one who's prepared you and called you and equipped you and gifted you to do that ministry? And so reading my Bible the other day in my prayer time, I was really convicted when I came across a verse in um, Colossians chapter one, when Paul ends the chapter by saying that he, you know, is in all of his teaching and in all of his admonishment, his goal is to present everyone fully mature to the Lord. And then he says this phrase, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. And as soon as I read it, I was instantly cut to the heart and convicted because as a pastor, I said, Lord, am I strenuously contending with all the energy that you're working in me to present everyone in my church fully mature to you? And I don't know that I am. And it was like one of those moments where I had to repent. I said, Lord, help me to stay focused on what's most important. Help me to strenuously contend to present everyone in my church to you fully mature. And yet, how can someone be kind of um, named mature in their faith if they don't even know how to talk to the one that they're in a relationship with? Because that's what prayer is all about. It's, it's our dialogue with our Heavenly Father. It's, it's a communication with our Heavenly Father. And, and as a person, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I know a lot of people might think, you know, you're a pastor. You must like have this hotline to heaven. You got to be super close to God. And I'm just being honest with you. I want to grow in my own prayer life. I don't pray every day like I'm supposed to. There's days where I miss my devotional time and my prayer time. You know, I, I have a confession to make to you this morning. I'm an addict. I'm a social media addict. My first instinct, my first response when I get out of bed in the morning is to roll over and grab my phone and I open Facebook. That is the first thing I do when I wake up because I want to see all the notifications that popped up while I was asleep. How many people liked my picture, right? How many people commented on that last post that I made, you know, as, as if it somehow validates who I am or makes me, you know, I don't know, I just get this rush of dopamine or something like that. It makes me feel better about myself. But while I was surfing Facebook the other day, I came across this picture that I took a screenshot of that I want to show you. It says, start every day with prayer. Take it to God before you take it to Facebook. <laughs> I found it on Facebook. <laughs> while sitting in bed, after I'd woken up from sleeping when I was supposed to be praying. That's the irony of the whole thing. I found the picture on Facebook while I was supposed to be praying. But this is my heart's desire, even for my own relationship with Jesus, is I, I just, I want to be able to look forward to connecting with God the very first thing that happens when I wake up before I look at who commented or liked a stupid picture or post that I made. Here's one thing I know for sure, okay? As a church, we're believing God for some big things. If you've been a part of this church for a year, 
Then you know, maybe remember last year, last fall, I preached a series called 2020, which was the vision that I believe God has given us as a church to believe for. And it was my son stand still prayer that I kind of boldly put out before the church to believe that by the end of 2020, I would love to celebrate and see 2,000 people gathering every single weekend here worshiping our Savior. I also, as a church, want to be able to celebrate a thousand people having made decisions to receive and follow Jesus Christ. And I also want to see at least a thousand people plugged into and connected to a healthy, life-giving small group, a life group where they can experience authentic community and spiritual growth so they can be discipled and grow in their faith to become a fully mature follower of Jesus. And here's one thing I know that with that 2020 vision, none of it will come to pass if we are not committed to prayer as a church. If we don't bathe that vision in prayer, it will not come to pass. This will not by ha happen by might. It will not happen by power. It will not happen by our strategic planning or thinking. This will happen by his spirit and his spirit alone. We've gotta be committed to prayer as a church. And this church has been built from its very foundation on prayer. Pastor Craig, the founding pastor of this church, was committed to making sure that from the very beginning, we had a team of people praying for the church. And I, for one, am not about to change that. In fact, I attribute every single one of the 214 people who've said yes to Jesus in the last two years to a group of people who've been faithfully and, and committed to prayer every single week for this church. Those salvations would not have happened if we've not had people sowing seeds of prayer, asking God for a harvest of souls. In fact, every single weekend, many of you don't realize this or don't know this, but behind those walls in a wing right off of the kids, kids' life wing, there's a room of intercessors that gather every single Sunday morning from eight to nine to pray for you, to pray for these services to pray that during worship you would encounter and sense and, and come to see Jesus and, and have an experience in his presence. That when the word goes forth, that you would have your hearts be open to receive the word that it would get planted deep in your heart so that it could produce fruit in your life. And they pray for me every single week as a pastor so that when I get up here to declare God's word, I would do it with boldness and with conviction and with authority. And I dare not get on this stage without going back there first before the nine o'clock service starts to let them pray for me. Because that's where the power comes from. It's in prayer. It's in prayer. I'm so thankful to have a team of people who are committed to prayer. You know, I was in here at 5.30 this morning and I laid hands on every single chair in this auditorium so that you would have an encounter with Jesus. Life change doesn't happen apart from prayer. And as a church, I want you to know that as a leadership team, we are working behind the scenes to try and come up with some teams of people that can make prayer available to you like after the service for people that need and want prayer and, and ministry after the service is done. We're working on coming up and making that available to you so that it's not just happening behind the scenes with some intercessors, but that we'll have prayer available to anyone who wants it after service is done. So this church has been built on prayer and it's gonna to continue to be built on prayer because anything that happens that's not bathed in prayer won't last. But listen, what would it look like for your life to be built on prayer? What would it look like for my life to be built on prayer? You know, this week, uh, two weeks ago, I heard a message that this series was birthed out of uh, from a pastor of a church in Alabama, Church of the Highlands. His name is Chris Hodges, one of the pastors that I listen to on a very regular basis. So listen, you guys come here every Sunday and hear a message that I hope ministers to you, I hope blesses you, but I don't preach these messages for my benefit. All right, so as I'm giving out and pouring out here on the weekends, you know, I need to, during the week, be being poured into. And so I listen to several messages each week from different pastors. And Pastor Chris Hodges is one of the pastors that I respect and receive from. What God has done through his ministry is absolutely phenomenal and incredible. Church that started in 2001 is now 17 campuses across the state of Alabama and has an average attendance of over 35,000 people a weekend. Through his ministry, they launched ARC, which plants a church every three and a half days on average. Over 100 churches a year are being planted through his ministry. 
And I have been blessed by his leadership and I trust who he is as a minister of the gospel. And I heard this series that he preached several years ago at his church that has become a rally cry for my life. I've stolen it from him. I've made it my own. And I wanna invite you as, as a church to adopt this as our rally cry, rally cry here at Life Church Buffalo. And it's in your notes if you have it. Our rally cry is that we're gonna pray first. It's very simple. It's not a profound statement. And it's, I love the simplicity of it though. I love the simplicity of pray first. It says practically how we're going to approach every single situation in our lives. We're gonna pray first. So what would it look like? First thing you do when you wake up, before your feet hit the floor, for you to just say, good morning, Lord. I dedicate this day to you. This is a day that you have made. I'm gonna rejoice and be glad in it. And you're gonna pray first. And what would it look like before you go to bed and before you lay your head on your pillow at night to pray first? Many of you are in the habit of before you eat, you pray first. What would it look like if before you took that appointment, your secretary comes in and says, hey, so-and-so is here for their two o'clock. Do you want me to let them in? And you would say, hold on a second, wait a minute. God, I just pray for this appointment. I pray you bless it. I pray you give me wisdom. I I pray you help me make loads and loads of money. Okay, now let them in. (laughs) Because we're gonna pray first. What would it look like if before your kids go off to school, because school is starting in just about a month, before they run off to the bus to say, hold on kids, come back here. God, I I bless my kids. I pray that they would be leaders today and not followers. Now go, 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 because we're gonna pray first. Pray first. What would it look like for all of us to approach every situation and say it out loud with me? We're gonna pray pray first. first. We're gonna pray first. Before you send that email, pray first. Before you post on Facebook, and let me tell you, some of you need to pray before you post (laughs) on Facebook. Good Lord, some of the things I've seen you guys post on social media that does not reflect the heart of our Heavenly Father. I love that you're passionate about your political views, but does it reflect the love of Jesus first? Some of you need to pray first. Maybe that needs to be your rally cry. Pray before I post. Jesus, should I post this? He's saying, no, (laughs) don't post it. But here's our theme verse for this series. Because today I'm gonna teach you how to pray and next week I'm gonna teach you how to build this into your life. Okay, 1 Thessalonians, it's in your notes. Chapter five, verses 16 to 18 says, rejoice always, Paul writes, and pray continually. Listen, if you're a person that doesn't memorize much scripture, that's an easy one to memorize, right? Verse 17, two words, pray continually. That's an easy one to memorize. And some of you are like, well, what does that mean to pray continually? Am I supposed to get on my knees and then never get up because I'm never supposed to stop praying? No, what it means is that like, we're gonna go about our daily lives. We're gonna go to that appointment. We're gonna go on vacation. We're gonna have that fun, but we're gonna bring prayer into everything that we do. We're gonna bathe every situation in prayer. We're gonna pray first and pray continually. He continues, and give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So many people wanna know what God's will for their life is. There it is, right there. His will is that you pray first. His will is that you pray first. So here's the rally cry. If you have your notes, I want you to pull them out, write this down, okay? Prayer is going to be our first response, not our last resort. So many people try everything in their own strength and power, and when nothing works, they're like, well, I guess I can pray, and it's like the last resort. Some of us act first, and then we pray, and then we ask God to bail us out. But no, we're gonna pray first. We need to act, right? But we're gonna pray first, and then trust God to lead us as we act. Because I don't know if you realize this or not, but listen, guys, our world is in peril. Society is in trouble. The moral fabric of our society is unraveling at a pace that I can't even fathom. What are we as the church, as the people of God, gonna do about it? Well, scripture tells us what we should do about it. In 2 Chronicles chapter seven, verses 13 and 14, it says, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts 
to devour the land or send a plague among my people. And here's the key. If my people, who are his people? We are, the church. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray first and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So often the church is concerned about the world's wicked ways and we want to condemn those who are not doing what we think they should be doing because they're not even followers of Jesus. But this says if we would turn from our wicked ways, then he would hear from heaven and would forgive our sins and heal our land. If you're concerned about our land, if you're concerned about the direction that our country is going, pray first. Pray first. You have a role to play in what is happening in our society, and it's to pray first, and I'm going to teach you how. Because listen, I grew up in church. I was raised in the church, and I was never really taught how to pray. I just honestly didn't like it. it. Like I said earlier, it seemed boring to me. And there were things about it that like, you know, I was kind of intimidated. I heard other people that seemed more mature than me and they, you know, they were professional prayers. And I'm like, well, I can't pray that good. I'm not praying out loud. I know some of you have felt like that before. Like the idea of public prayer in a small group or something is terrifying to you, you know? Or you pray in a circle and, you know, people pray out before you do. And you're like, well, I was going to pray for that. And I was going to pray. For that. Then you feel like you got nothing left to pray for right? Come on now. Or get this, like growing up, if you were taught this prayer, some of you are going to know it as soon as I begin to say it. Like we were taught some ridiculous prayers as kids. Like this one. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Because if I should die... Before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Like, what kind of morbid person came up with that stupid prayer? Like, little Johnny, if you make it through the night, if you don't die, you're going to be okay. But if you do, you got to pray that God takes your soul. Like, what kind of, like, garbly gook is that? Like, if you're a parent, please, please. Do not teach your kids that prayer. Crazy, ridiculous. It was just like growing up, prayer was never attractive to me. No one ever taught me how to pray. And so if you're like me, you can probably come up with a thousand excuses or reasons for why you don't pray. And today my goal is to try and help dispel those reasons and actually make prayer something that is fun. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, if you're in a relationship with him, you should want to spend time with the person that you love more than anyone else. Right? So I want prayer to be fun for you guys. And so in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that next week, a certain place. But when he finished, one of his disciples, who, by the way, grew up memorizing prayers... His disciples knew how to pray, and yet they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, they weren't asking how to pray. They were asking how to pray like that. Like he had just gotten done praying, and what they saw was different than what they grew up memorizing. Like, Jesus, you, it looked like you were really connecting with your father, and you were really enjoying it, and what we experienced is not what we just saw. So can you teach us how to pray like that? And then Jesus responds with what is referred to today as the Lord's Prayer, which we have taken all of the passion out of and turned it into this rote prayer that just we recite without even thinking about the words that we're saying. And Jesus never intended us to recite this prayer. In fact, when he was teaching, it, he, he didn't say, like, pray this prayer or pray these words. He said, after this manner. Or this is how you should pray, depending on what your translation says. He was basically giving them an outline or a template for prayer. In other words, here are the headings that you should go through when you pray. The Lord's Prayer was never intended to be a recited prayer. 
And it's okay if you do that, but I, I understand, especially in our culture with such a strong, you know, Catholic background where you come out of confession and you've got to say like five Hail Marys and 10 Our Fathers to, you know, be forgiven of your sins or something like that. And listen, this was not intended by Jesus to be something that we just recited without thinking about what we're actually praying about. Jesus was giving them a pattern for prayer. And there's two places, two gospels give an account of what Jesus said was this pattern. One was in Luke 11. And the other was in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at the one in Matthew chapter 6 today. And he says this. He says, first I say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I spend some time focusing on the names of God. And then I say, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I spend some time talking about that. And then I move on to say, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So what Jesus was doing here, as I said, was giving them an outline for prayer. So my challenge to you this week is for you to take this bulletin insert that I hope you'll fill in the blanks for as we go through this and apply these seven things, these seven headings, bring them to your place of prayer every day this week. And I believe that if you do that, you will have a more meaningful time of prayer than you've had in a long time. One of the greatest gifts I can give you as a pastor is to help teach you how to connect with your heavenly father. And so I would challenge you, that's our challenge this week, is to take this into our place of prayer and just spend 10, maybe 15 minutes at the most going through each of these headings and praying this way. So here we go, here's the first phrase. He begins by saying, our Father in heaven. And what he was saying to them was like, you guys are missing it. The first thing you need to do is connect with God relationally. Connect with God relationally. You don't need to connect with him formally. You don't need to try to impress God when you pray. You don't need to pray in the King James with all the these and the thous and our gracious heavenly father, I pray that thou dost. Like, no, 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 that's not what it's about. Connect with God relationally. He was saying that this is, this is God's favorite name to be referred to as, is daddy. Some of you, if you were here last year, remember Pastor Craig, the founding pastor of this church, preached a whole series on daddy, the name that God wants to be called. He loves it when you call him daddy. It's his favorite name. I mean, how many of you that are parents love it when your kids run up to you and say, hey dad, will you snuggle with me? Hey mom, can I just sit on your lap and spend some time with you? For some of you, those days are long gone, you know, and you wish that you would have children that would still wanna spend time with you, but I have the blessing of having two boys who are still at an age that they actually wanna snuggle with us. Sometimes we've got to coax them into, you know, sitting on our laps because they're too busy being boys and playing and roughhousing. But other times it's my favorite when they come up and say, Dad, I just need some snuggle time. And no matter what I'm doing in that moment, I'm, I'm stopping because I'm sitting down and spending time with my son who wants to snuggle with me. Listen to me. Your heavenly father wants the same thing spiritually. He wants his kids to connect with him relationally, to call him daddy. You should go no further in prayer until you've connected with God relationally. Paul wrote this in Romans 8, 15. He says, you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. And listen to me, if you are serving God through fear as a slave, you've got the wrong picture of God. And your picture of God will determine your relationship with God. Instead, it says you've received God's spirit when he accepted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. Abba means daddy. It's the first syllables uttered by an infant when they're learning how to speak. It's Abba, it's daddy. That's how God wants us to call him because he's accepted us and adopted us into his family. So connect with him relationally. And then he moves on to the next phrase, hallowed be your name. Now that word hallowed is kind of an old English word and many of us don't understand what it means, but I wrote it down this way. You worship his name. You worship his name. So you begin to focus on and call out the names of God and worship him for who he is because his name has power. Like if I were to tell 
my son Sammy to go tell Isaac to clean his room. If Sammy were to go tell Isaac, say, hey, Isaac, you need to clean your room. Isaac ain't doing squat, right? But if Sammy goes to him and says, daddy said that you need to clean your room, all of a sudden, Isaac stops what he's doing and he goes and starts cleaning his room because Sammy carried daddy's name and daddy's name has power. Daddy's name has authority. And when we pray and we pray the names of God, we carry the power and the authority that comes with the names of our God. There's power in his name and we worship his name. Proverbs 18.10 says that God's name is a place of protection. The righteous can run there and be safe. But what are some of his names? If you want to do an interesting Bible study, look up the names of God. And I've written down just a few of them for you that we're going to put up on the screen. And I pray through some of these on a pretty regular basis. And I say, God, I thank you that you are my righteousness, that it's not by my works that I can come close to you, but you've given me your righteousness. And now I can run boldly into the throne room of grace and receive help when I need. Lord, I thank you that you are my sanctifier. I thank you that you are my shepherd. And like John 10, 10 says, I will not turn my ear to the voice of a stranger, but you are speaking to me. And as your sheep, as your child, you are teaching me how to hear your voice and I will follow you. Thank you for being my shepherd, God. Lord, thank you that you are my banner of victory, that you always lead me in triumph. We need to pray the names of God and worship his names and just spend some time Focusing on that and declaring who he is and worshiping him for who he is. There is another name of God. And that's an interesting one. And you're like, well, what does that mean? It means he's there. Like David said in Psalm 139, if I make my bed in the highest hills or in the depths of the sea, still you are there. No matter where you go, God is there. It's such a beautiful name. You cannot go anywhere without God being there. It's so comforting. He is there. Worship his name. And then he moves on to the next phrase. When he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice one word appears twice there, your. So before you get to your list, make sure you focus on your list. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And this honestly is a big problem for a lot of us because, listen, God wants to be more than a cosmic Santa Claus or a genie in a bottle that you rub the lamp and you send your heavenly email to him and say, okay, God, I need you to bless this. I need you to do this for me. I need you to help me on this job interview. And prayer for us begins and ends with our list of things that we want God to do for us. So the next thing we need to do is the third part of the outline is pray his agenda first. Pray his agenda first. Let me put it this way. God has a prayer list. Pray it. He likes it when you pray his agenda first. You know, instead of like just bringing our stuff and and we'd come to him and God, your kingdom come. And he's like, oh, all the needs that you have and you're gonna pray for these things first. Oh, I love you. And he, he bends his ear when we pray his agenda first. Some of you might be like, well, what is God's prayer list? What does that mean? I can pretty much summarize God's prayer list in one word, and maybe you need to write this down. It's others. It's others. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. So when you pray, pray his agenda. Pray for the other people in your life first. Pray for church leaders. Pray for your pastor. I covet your prayers. I desperately need them and appreciate when you pray for me and for the leaders of the church. Pray for government leaders. Listen, there are conservatives here today who would love to rally from the mountaintops how the church need to be praying for President Trump. But listen, were you just as passionate about praying for your president when Obama was in office? Come on now. I'm gonna step on some toes. Like, or if you're a liberal here today who can't stand President Trump, like, are you still, we're called to pray for the leaders of our country, no matter who's in office. This is God's kingdom come. God's will be done. And we need to pray that no matter who is in office, that God gives them the wisdom and surrounds them with people that can help make wise decisions. If you're concerned about the direction of this country, we're going to pray first. Pray first. Not use Facebook as a platform to champion your political viewpoint. 
I'm going to pray first. Others, others, others. So when I pray, I pray for the other people in my life first. I pray for my family. I pray for all of you almost every single day. I pray for your marriages. Pray that marriages would be healed and restored. I pray for addictions to be broken. I pray for your children, that they would be protected from the schemes and attacks of the enemy. I pray for this church that God would enable us and allow us to fulfill every plan and purpose that he has for us. Pray for others. Pray for his kingdom to come, which you're a part of, by the way, and his will to be done in others' lives. God loves it when you pray his agenda first. In your notes is Matthew 6, which says, but seek first, Jesus says, his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all these things that you're worried about and that you want to pray about, all those things will be added to you. All those things will be taken care of if you pray and seek his kingdom first. Not in your notes is Luke 12, 31, which says, he will give you all you need from day to day if you will make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Your primary concern. Seek first his kingdom. Your kingdom come, God. Your will be done in the lives of others on earth, just as it is in heaven. You have a plan in heaven for the people in my life, and I pray that that would come down and become what is real and what is true in their lives. Others. And then we can move on to our needs. He says, give us. Here's where us comes in. It's your first and then us. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, what does this mean? I have everything I need. I don't need anything right now. Well, listen, pray as if you need it anyway. Every single day, pray and ask God for the things that you need, even if you don't feel like you need them. See, a big mistake that we make a lot as followers of Christ is that we only go to God when we need something. But I would encourage you to pray for what you need as if you don't have it, because it communicates to God that everything I have is from you and everything I need comes from you. So I haven't arrived there yet, but I'm learning how to pray this way every single day. Lord, provide for my family. Bless our finances so that we can be a blessing to others. Lord, help my kids to stay healthy and strong. Lord, bless my church. Give us what we need to fulfill what you've called us to do. Bless my wife. Give us this day. Every day, it's important to number four, depend on him for everything. Depend on him for everything because it's easy to misplace our dependence when our needs are met. We talked this, about this a little bit last week in the last week of Joseph. And we saw that wealth and prosperity, far more than poverty and need, has a tendency to erode our faith because we place our trust and our dependency in our job to meet our needs. But every day, pray and ask God to provide for your needs. Well, I can handle this. That's all right. Pray as if you need God to, Lord, I need you. Every breath I take, every step I take, I need you. I can only get through this day if you sustain me in it. Acknowledge your dependence on him in everything. Psalm 121 verses one and two says, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? And some people think that this verse is referring to like when we look up to the mountains, that we're looking up to heaven but that's not actually what it means. See, the seat of government in Israel, in ancient Israel, was on a hill. And so he was saying, I look up to Capitol Hill. Does my help come from the government? No, my help, he says, comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I look past the hills to the heavens and he is the one that meets my needs. God, I can't live another day unless you sustain me in it. And then Jesus moved on to the next part. And don't forget this part. This is so important. He says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We've got to spend some time working through forgiveness in our hearts. Forgive us as we forgive others. There's two parts to this prayer. I need you to forgive me, God. I've done some things that have grieved your heart. I've not done some things that I know you've called me to do. I need you to forgive me, but then we need to forgive others who've hurt and offended us. I wrote it down this way in your notes. Get your heart right in two places, with God and people. Get your heart right with God and people. You might say, well, what does it mean to get your heart right? Here's how I say it when I pray. I say, Lord, help me not to get desensitized to sin. Lord, would you search me? 
and know me. And if there be anything wicked in me, if there's anything in me that grieves your heart, would you point it out to me right now so I can repent of it right here and right now? Lord, I need you to forgive me of anything that doesn't please you. And he will answer that prayer every time. Have you ever been praying and say, Lord, search me. I, I just, I want to be close to you. And, and God puts his finger on something in your life. And you're like, ah, okay, I get it. I get it. Lord, I'm sorry. Like he will answer that prayer. But we can't stop there. So many people wonder why they feel so distant from God. And yet they're harboring unforgiveness in their heart. We've got to forgive others. And so after I ask God to search me, I say, Lord, if there's anyone that has offended me, I, I just forgive them now and I'll go through the list of people and kind of search my heart to see if I'm still holding on to anything. And listen, forgiveness is a decision. It's not a feeling. You might still have a hard time tr look at, uh, trusting people. And this is not the same as trust. You don't have to trust people that have hurt you or offended you, but you need to forgive them. And sometimes you've got to make a decision every single day to forgive them. And wake up the next day and forgive them again because like that hurt creeps back in and you're like, you find yourself being all cranky and like, I don't like that person. Lord, I forgive them. And listen, if you will do this, people will notice. Like forgive in advance. Like I just know that there are gonna be people that when I wake up that are gonna tick me off. And so I just say, Lord, whoever upsets me today, I forgive them in advance. And people will notice like you're different. And you say, yeah, that's because I forgave you even before I saw you today. I feel good. <laughs> Didn't Jesus say, like, when you come to me and, and you have a gift to bring me or when you want to worship me, but there remember that you have an offense with your brother, go and take care of that first. And then make things right. Then come and offer your gift. Forgive us as we forgive others. Get your heart right with God and others. John wrote in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do it every day. Every day, get your heart right with God. Get your heart right with people. And then he says, this is a fun part, do not lead us into temptation. Okay, and that's actually not a great translation because God does not lead people into temptation. There's a verse that says so. The actual Greek translation says, do not allow me to be led into temptation. It literally means, God, I'm going to have a chance to sin today. Temptation is on the agenda because you have a spiritual enemy. And when that temptation comes, God, I need you to help me make a good choice, to make a wise decision, to not succumb to that temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Listen, you may not like or even agree with what I'm about to say, but it does not change the fact that it is true. You have an enemy that hates your guts. He is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And here's the truth. Your spiritual enemy is working a lot harder to destroy you than you're working to resist him. That should cut to the heart for some of you. I'm gonna say it again. The enemy is working harder than many of us are working at resisting him. See, we need to engage in spiritual warfare every day. That's the next point. We need to engage in spiritual warfare. If you're not fighting the devil every day, then he's working harder than you are. You might say, well, what does that mean to engage in spiritual warfare? Well, I wanna look at what Paul said in Ephesians 6 when he said, for our struggle is not with people. If you've got an argument with someone, if you're dealing with animosity or anger or bitterness or unforgiveness, your struggle is not with a person. It's not with flesh and blood. Our struggle is with the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Well, if that exists, then every day I need to take my stand against my spiritual adversary. Listen, I don't know if you realize this or not, but everything that you see, can taste, touch, feel, and see around you is not the only thing that's real. There is an unseen realm that you're a part of that is more real than the physical realm that we can touch and see. You were born into a battle zone. And it's time that we as Christ followers take seriously our charge to engage with the enemy. 
and recognize that we are not fighting for victory, guys. We are fighting from a place of victory. The victory was won 2,000 years ago when our Savior hung and died on a tree and said, it is finished. And then he walked out of that tomb three days later with the keys of death, hell, and the grave in his hands. And he now lives in us. And we are seated with him in heavenly places. And the enemy is under our feet. Come on, somebody. We need to engage in spiritual warfare and recognize that your heavenly Father has put his Holy Spirit in you. And take your stand. Read Ephesians 6 and put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you can stand. And after having done everything, stand firm. This is how I fight the devil when I pray. You can do it differently, but what I say, listen, you can't let the devil outwork you. Right? This is what I pray. I say, Lord... I bind and and render powerless every demonic assignment that has been put on my life, my family's life, my church's life. Lord, greater are you in me than he that is in the world, and you always lead me in triumph. Like, you you just got to take this seriously, guys. Nehemiah 4, we talked about this a month ago during the We Can Do More Together series. He said, fight for your families. So fight. Too many of us are lying down, just we're defeated, thinking that the devil's got more power than we do. Fight for your families. Take your stand. Engage in spiritual warfare. Listen, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. If there's a stronghold in your life, you've got weapons that God has given you that you can tear that sucker down. Use the authority that God's given you in his name. And then he ends where he started off by saying, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. He goes right back to God. He said, Lord, this is about your kingdom. And it's all gonna happen by your power and this is all for your glory. So end your prayer time by number seven, express faith in God's ability. Express faith in his ability. Two verses that I would suggest that maybe you end your prayer time with would be, they're in your notes, Jeremiah 32, 17. It says, ah, sovereign Lord, you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. And then I love this last phrase, nothing is too hard for you. I love ending my prayer time that way. Saying, God, nothing that I've said is too difficult for you. It's a piece of cake. You've made the heavens and the earth. Nothing is too hard for you. Another great way to end would be Revelation 5.13. Now to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, in this moment right now, with a room full of mighty warriors, God, I pray that you would birth a hunger for more of your presence. Lord, that we would move beyond prayer being this ritual that we engage in but never receive life from, but that we would see it as a lifeline to connect with our Heavenly Father who loved us so much He gave His one and only Son to be bruised and beaten and battered so that we could come into His presence just as we are. Lord, I pray for a revival of prayer in our church. say, God, but I pray for prayer. I pray that this template, this outline you gave us would become something that opens the door for many who've not known how to talk to you, and that it would be a launching pad to enter into a relationship with you that makes it fun. Lord, that we would relish and look forward to our time with our Heavenly Father. And maybe there are some people here today who've never taken that first step You've not connected with God as your father because maybe that term has had a negative connotation for you. But today you know that 
His Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart and He wants to come in and have a relationship with you. Listen, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if there's anyone here today that wants to say yes to Jesus, to connect with Him relationally, the only thing that's required is that you give Him your life. Scripture says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. He comes in and lives inside of you. And if that's you here today, would you just raise your hand so that we can pray with you as a family and welcome you into God's family? Is there anybody here today that wants to say yes to Jesus for the first time or maybe you're coming back to him because you've walked away? Is there anybody here? Just raise your hand, slip your hand up. I see that hand in the back. Is there anyone else? Anyone else? People are saying yes to Jesus, coming home to their heavenly Father. Church, will you join me in praying with those who are coming back to their Father today? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me enough to send your Son to die for me. Lord, I receive your forgiveness. Wash me, cleanse me, make me new. God, I give you my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the strength and the power to follow you every day for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. I am now yours. Thank you, God, that I can now call you Father. Now, Jesus, in the days and weeks to come, I just pray that this would be a praying church. Lord, that we would commit to praying for our families, for this church, for our city, and for our nation. Lord, that we would expect you to move on our behalf. Lord, we want to see signs and wonders. We want to see hundreds more make decisions to follow you. We want to see people healed and saved and set free and delivered. your word declares these signs will follow those that believe. God, we believe. Help our unbelief, God. Lord, help us to go out from here today and be the church. Lord, we've come to church today. We've had church. We've encountered your presence, but Lord, you never called us to go to a building. You called us to be a people that would go out into the world and represent you and show a world of love that is so amazing, God, that it would make people envious of what we have. Help us to live it by every day connecting with you and recognizing, God, it's not about discovering your will for our lives. It's about giving our lives for your will. Lord, that we would be your church, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. God, we love you. Thank you so much for this time in your presence. Thank you for teaching us how to pray. Now may we go out and do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said.